What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And they make arguably the most comfortable, the most well-built Fireline pack in the game. But not only do they make that, they make a ton of other load-bearing essentials. Like if you want to go pull a trophy elk off the side of a hill, well, they make a solution for you. If you want to go backpack across Europe, they got a solution for you. Hell, they even make business stuff. Yeah, they make briefcases too, which is awesome. Hell, if you even guys uh, need an additional backpack to stuff all your civvy gear in and throw under the seat of the buggy or under the seat of the engine, well, they got a solution for you as well. Cool thing about that is, well, one of these backpacks and this briefcase that I'm talking about in particular, well, a portion of those proceeds from all the sales are going to go back into the 1039 scholarship fund, which is dope. They are giving back to the community. So if you guys want to go back to school and you happen to be a seasonal employee, well, now's your chance. You can go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out because pretty soon they are going to be doing this 1039 scholarship. So it's an opportunity for you to go back to school and get some education under your belt. It's going to be coming down the line here pretty soon. Uh, not sure exactly quite the date, but I'll let you guys know as soon as it comes out. In addition to that, they're also giving back to the community by doing the Backbone series. What is that you might ask? Well, it is highlighting the mission that we do every day out there in the field. Well, at least for <laughs> six months out of the year. Some of us year round, but hey. But anyways, it's going to highlight the backbone of our fire industry, which is the temporary seasonal employee, which is going to be cool. And of course, there's going to be some permanent employees uh, being interviewed in that as well. But yeah, outreaches for story contributions will be coming out as well. They're going to be coming out soon. But if you guys want to find out more, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out all of their full line of load-bearing essentials. Another sponsor of the show is going to be, of course, our premier coffee sponsor. And that is none other than Hot Shop Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause where a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Besides kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, they have a full line of fire Wildland Firefighter-themed apparel, which you can check out to help support that firefighter, Wildland Firefighter cause. And they have a full line of all the tools of the trade that you need to get your morning started off right. So if you guys need an AeroPress or pour-over system, or hell, even if you need a camp cup, well, they got it. They got it all over there at www.hotshopbrewing.com. But they also support the Anchor Point podcast by slinging our merch. So if you guys want one of those sweet Fire Fiend t-shirts or one of those sweet Band of Brothers t-shirts, hell, if you even want some stickers that have some uh, Anchor Point swag on them, go over to www.hotshopbrewing.com and check them out. The Anchor Point Podcast would also like to take a little bit of time out of your day to raise a little awareness and uh, help support a great cause. What cause is this? Well, it's a leave no trace cause. It's a pack it in and pack it out kind of cause. It is being a true steward of the land kind of cause. What kind of cause is that? Well, our good buddy over at Booze and Fire has created the ass movement. What does it stand for? Well, it's a funny name, but it's serious about conservation and it stands for the anti-surface shitting movement. So I don't know about you guys, but I hate the problem of finding a gift wrapped turd, a human turd that's been gift wrapped in toilet paper. It is disgusting. That and the influx of people on public lands and the uh, COVID things that are going on right now. Well, we've seen a huge amount of trash on public lands and it's disgusting. It needs to stop. But the cool thing is, is you can go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement and help spread a little awareness. You could be a part of this movement too. So go over there to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement and be part of the solution. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Broadcast is going to be brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. It's an awesome organization, and Bethany has a kick-ass thing going on over there. And what is it, you might ask? Well, it is a digital catalog, an archive of sorts of wildland firefighting stories in North America, dating all the way back to the 1940s. There's over 100 of them. It's pretty cool. So if you guys want a little trip down uh, history or a trip down memory lane, or you want a little history lesson, or if you want to you know, see some current issues that are affecting us in the field, definitely go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check them out because they give back. How do they give back? You might ask. Well, they 
do the Smoky Generation grants. Yeah, limited number of people this year got a couple of uh, $500 grants for telling the story of wildland firefighting here in North America. So your opportunity will be coming around again here. Uh, I do know that applications for this year have been closed and the winners for the 2020 uh, Smoky Generation grants have been issued and they're out there. Congratulations to all the folks that won, by the way. But I'm pretty sure next year you'll have your opportunity. So if you happen to be a writer, a photographer, a blogger, a videographer, if you happen to be telling the story of wildland firefighting here in North America, definitely go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. It's a good opportunity. And Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization. Keep doing what you're doing. and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to the Anchor Point Podcast. Hope everybody's doing well, staying safe, staying savage, doing the damn thing out there on the line. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely getting busy. So hope everybody's uh, keeping their heads on a swivel. Yeah, go forth and do great things. Anyways, today on the show, I've got a very, very, very special guest, and we're going to talk about some pretty heavy subjects. We're going to talk about the big C. Yeah, cancer. We're going to talk about smoke exposure, and we're going to talk about some uh, taking some steps to mitigate these risks of cardiovascular disease and the big C. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Dr. Kathleen Navarro. She is a research and industrial hygienist for the National Institute for Occupational Health, Safety and Health. Yeah, NIOSH. It uh, falls under the CDC. So she uh, definitely is working for a big time organization out there and she definitely knows her stuff. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Kathleen Navarro, Dr. Kathleen Navarro. Welcome to the Anchor Point. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got Kathleen Navarro, Dr. Kathleen Navarro, former Redmond hotshot, and she is doing some epic stuff over there in uh, the NIOSH and the CDC, and she has done a huge cancer study. So let's hear all about it. How you doing, Kathleen? Great. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Nice. So what do you do? What do you work for? What do you do? Tell us your life story. Oh, life story. Um, so I'm currently a research industrial hygienist at the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. We're part of the CDC. I started there last October. Before that, I was with the U.S. Forest Service for about four years and dabbled in a few things. Um, I got my start in the region five air quality program where I was an intern and they hired me actually to collect data for my dissertation research project, which was looking at a specific chemical in smoke and measuring that out on the fire line. So I got connected with some really cool people on the Sierra and Sequoia national forest. They sent me to basic 40 and I got my fire start there. I showed up as a grad student. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I learned a lot just from taking 130, 190. I did a lot of push-ups, which I didn't <laughs> think was part of the class, but I just gained so much perspective within that one week of doing the training. And it just opened up doors for me to collect data for my research, but also fill in on engines and just get outside and really start understanding what a day in a life for a firefighter was. And it really led me on this path of, if I want to protect health, if I want to reduce exposure to smoke, how do you do that on the fire line in such a complex environment? 
Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, and it is a complex environment and we're exposed to a lot of nasty crap, uh, silt dust, uh, silicates, carbon monoxide, and all the stuff that you've been researching as well. So this whole thing with your education background, it going into fire and doing this research project kind of created the perfect storm for your research project, right? Right. It really did. Um, I knew kind of going into my PhD work, I wanted to study occupational health. I knew I wanted to be outside, so I wanted to do some field work and just started thinking about, you know, what are we exposed to in our environment? What are we exposed to outside in outdoor occupations? And just kind of found myself um, drawn to wildfire and thinking about what, what has been studied for wildland firefighters. So for my dissertation, I looked at um, a specific chemical called polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. Um, they are can either be attached to particulate matter and smoke or exist as a gas um, phase particle as well. So they, from, from other research, have been implicated in causing cancer and other health outcomes um, for the cardiovascular system and immune function as well. So my advisor had been studying those chemicals in the environment, actually in the Central Valley, looking at children's health, but I kind of just took that out to the forest environment and started looking at wildfire exposure. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So where'd you go to school at? Uh, I did my master's and PhD at UC Berkeley and my undergrad at UC Davis. Nice. And what made you like follow your passion into this whole, uh, or this whole cancer study and being a wildland firefighter? That's pretty unique. You have a very unique perspective on that. So what led into that is like, did you just decide one day like, Oh, I'm going to go do wildfire and a smoke exposure study. I'm going to change the game. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I didn't, didn't set out to change the game at all for sure, but I just, I was really passionate about studying occupational health. Uh, my family, has a long history of working as farm workers. So, you know, thinking about pesticide exposure and thinking about health in our workplaces has always really interested me, even from an undergrad level. Working in public health is interesting because you kind of get to, you know, you're not at that bench lab scale. You're really thinking about things in the grander scheme of community and life and looking at it at that macro, macro level is what really interested me. So it kind of led me down that path and I think how I got involved in fire is it just, it sparked my interest and it was a challenge. It was a challenge that I wanted to keep diving in deeper and digging deeper into seeing what can be done. And that's kind of what drives me every single day. Nice. And uh, so the Redmond hotshots thing too, what decided to, what made you decide to go over there and hang out with those guys? Um, so I, Got a perm with the Forest Service in Utah, working on forest planning, NEPA, <laughs> you know, get my foot in the door. And it gave me a really interesting perspective to kind of work at that forest level. But I knew I wanted to do fire. I knew I wanted more experience and more depth of experience, too. I, like I said, filled in on some engines when I was doing my dissertation work. I spent two seasons working with the MTDC, NTDP field module doing smoke exposure work. So traveling all over the Western US during fire season. But I really wanted that concentrated crew time to really just get deep into it and understand what that's like day in, day out. And it was exactly what I wanted. It was definitely hard and a challenge, but I just, I gained a lot of perspective from it. Oh yeah. Get a little taste of the culture, but Redmond's a great crew. I, I was on there in 16 and uh, yeah, it was like the time of my life. Yeah. I not only got some really great leadership skills that have that helped me today for sure, but just um, it was a great group of people and we had a great mix of primary fire, secondary fire resource people. We all just kind of brought a really unique perspective, which is awesome. Nice. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Bubba. Shout out to Neil and shout out to Gabe. Those guys are awesome. Well, cool. Uh, so your smoke exposure study, let's get into the nitty gritty of that. How was that done? Lay it all on the lay, lay it all down on the line here. I, I'm really excited to hear about this. Um, so my first study was my dissertation work looking at the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. So PAHs looking at that not only out on the fire line, doing specific job tasks, but also looking at exposure at fire camps. Um, really trying to think about what are firefighters exposed to 
off the line as well. You know, what happens if there's an inversion in camp? And really that's, that was the start of my idea was I just wanted to look at fire camp exposure and then the FMO of Sequoia was like, Oh, we'll get you red carded. We'll send you out on the line. And so that's how <laughs> I got my other, other data. But um, yeah, looking at that, we can see that firefighters are more exposed to these chemicals than the general population and comparing them to, you know, the central Valley of California, which is kind of known for its poor air quality. So they're more exposed to that. Um, we don't have a lot of good comparable occupational regulations to compare to. So they don't quite, they're not exceeding those as what we've seen so far, but they are out there in the smoke. People are exposed to them and they have, they are known to cause cancer. So they are of concern and just trying to think about cumulatively what that means for firefighters and their long-term health. So trying to think about, you know, what is, what does cumulative exposure mean? What is long-term health risk? Um, that's how we started the idea for the other project that I published last year. And that is a risk assessment to quantify and start to put numbers to what is the risk of lung cancer and cardiovascular disease for wildland firefighters. So my team and I, we used data that was collected by George Broyles out on fires between 2009 and 12. And that was collecting particulate matter samples. So that small, fine dust particle, smaller than a human hair, you can't see. But the smaller the particle, the deeper it can get into your lungs. And the deeper it gets into your lungs, it's where that oxygen transfer happens. So these particles can be systemically transferred throughout your body. And these particles also carry chemicals like those PAHs into your body as well. So they're of concern. So we had exposure data that we measured out on the line for firefighters and then used some fancy math equations, <laughs> um, some, some exposure response relationships. So it's a way to produce risk estimates. So uh, you think of a graph, you know, you have exposure at the bottom and then your health response is the y-axis. And as you increase your exposure to something, your response generally increases too. So we have some really good data from community exposure to particulate matter, from secondhand smoke exposure, and then all the way up to cigarette smokers to create what is that relationship that we know between exposure to PM, particulate matter, and lung cancer and cardiovascular disease. So what we were able to do was kind of put wildland firefighters on that curve and then estimate exposure for them. And it's really hard to know, you know how long someone's career is, how many days they spend on fire per year, how many hours they spend on fire per year. So we kind of had to do a little bit of scenario creation. So what I did was I created two different categories, a short season firefighter and a long season firefighter. So the short season equates to a 500 hour overtime season and the long season equates to a thousand hour overtime season. And it's funny presenting this work at like an occupational health conference or the academics, they just look at that number and their eyes just completely get wide. And I'm like, no, a thousand hours. That's the goal. That's what people want. Yeah. And that's the so way we survive through the winters, that thousand hour season. Yeah, no, it's completely realistic to use that as a number. So using those two season numbers, um, as kind of the fire days per year, um, and then varying that over different career lengths. Um, so all the way from five years, all the way to a 25 year career and that thousand hour overtime season, you know, that that's your hotshot superintendent right there. Oh yeah. Easily. Yeah. It's, so, it's, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say taking all of that together, you know, kind of going from the lowest end to the highest end. So firefighters working a short season for five years, we calculated an 8% increased risk of lung cancer, 16% increased risk of cardiovascular mortality. And then all the way up to your long season, 25 years, a 43% increase in risk of lung cancer and 30% increase of risk of cardiovascular mortality. I'm going to swear here, but holy shit. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. 43%? Yes. Wow. 
Oh man. And now, so that's another thing too, is like you had to pretty much get all this data by yourself because there's no other precedent. There's nothing to compare your data to. Did you find any like hardships with that or any, any trouble uh, creating your own set of data? Well, it's not created. I mean, it's gathering your data, but not being able to compare it to really much of anything else. Um, that is hard. So this data was collected by George Broyles um, under Joe Dimitrovich at MTDC. I worked on the follow-up study between 2017 and 2015. Yeah, going all over where we could, you know, get out and have volunteers participate. So we have firefighters wearing monitoring equipment all day long. It weighs about pound, pound and a half. Um, so not only monitoring for particulate matter, also for carbon monoxide. So it is really difficult to collect this data. It's really, you know, we're, we're waking up before briefing, setting up equipment. We're, you know, getting ready for the next day after crews have bedded down. So it was, it's, it's hard work, but you know, we need, we need that information. We need that data. And I think the hardest part about collecting it is, and everyone has experienced this is every day on a fire is different. Oh yeah. Some days, some days you're brushing a road and you don't even know there's a fire around you because you're just like on the third contingency line and you don't, you don't see any smoke, but then other days, you know, you're during a burn operation and you're holding and you can't see in front of you. So trying to capture the very variability of exposure and those extreme differences is really difficult. And what makes it really hard to do this research and put these numbers to it. So, you know, there's, quite a few limitations that went into the estimate estimation of these risk numbers, but it is a starting point for us to think about what does cumulative exposure mean, but it is really hard to capture this data out on the fire line. Oh, I can only imagine, especially when you guys are uh, doing the in-camp particulate matter, when you're doing like a, like a static smoke or particulate matter uh, measurement, do you guys like set up any, uh, I don't know, kind of like a ROS, I guess I can compare it to. I'm, I'm a dumb caveman, so <laughs> you're going to explain the science. I'm going to try and convey the message here, but do you guys set up no, like no, a... That's a, <laughs> that's a super great comparison. Um, we set up their beta attenuation monitors in camp. So it's a real-time particulate matter sensor. So those can, they just go, they take one hour averages all the way throughout the day. And so those can be used in camps. Um, There's also an interagency wildfire smoke program as well that monitors community exposure with those um, as well as in camp for the fire incident. Okay. And do you guys monitor those static uh, situations 24 hours a day during the incident? If we're able to get out there and we get access, yes. <laughs> yeah, I can understand some difficulty with that. But uh, you were mentioning something about camp. And like, I know we do every mitigation that we can to keep camps out of inversion zones. That way you don't get socked in with smoke. But sometimes it's unavoidable, like up in uh, the Klamath or, you know, places in Oregon where that's just a guaranteed uh inversion layer and that just socks all that smoke into the bottom. And you're just sitting in camp breathing this stuff while you're sleeping. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely reality. We've tried to promote the use of sleeping trailers, which I know people are not a fan of, but you know, in those places they can give you a reprieve in that clean air. You might have a buddy snoring next to you, but you know, you're giving your lungs a break at least. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, when I was on the Rice Ridge fire in Montana, we spiked out with Idaho Pan Panhandle Hotshots. We were following them for a few days and Sealy Lake was experiencing what the EPA qualifies as very unhealthy and hazardous levels, but we were up out of that inversion up on the mountain and had clear skies with stars. So really trying to, to spike out crews up out of the inversion can be a way to mitigate that exposure as well and reduce driving. Mm-hmm. But there's also consequential risk to the public as well, because it's not just us. I mean, we're probably taking the brunt of it when we're on the line, especially in those holding situations. But the general public, they're experiencing this, too. They are. Um, and there's a lot of work um, being done by some of my colleagues. Our um, interior um, with the US EPA and CDC, there's a good working group of people who are really trying to reach the community and help with prevention and getting people kind of creating these smoke wise communities um, as well. So there's a big push for that. Oh, that's awesome. You know, knowledge is power. 
So yeah. as far as the hotshot crews that you guys are following around with these monitoring devices, um, did you experience any resistance with that? Because typically as well, I'm sure you know, and had experience with this, but you know, hotshots and just firefighters in general, they kind of stay away from like the, Oh yeah, don't follow me around kind of thing and monitor me. They don't really like that. So did you experience any like resistance with this whole idea? Um, you know, and we were trying to get a mix of every kind of crew, not just looking at hotshots, but also type two A crews and engine crews, just trying to get a mix of everybody. But you know, there's, there's always resistance to research. You just kind of have to have a thick skin and it's a lot lot of just going up awkwardly to people and being like, Hey, my name is Kat. I'm trying to do research on this. This is my end goal. And, you know, just having that canned, you know, talk and just, I think it, it gave me a thick skin, but, and it's every, people can say no, and that's completely, completely fine. Um, I just move on to the next person on the IAP. It's <laughs> <laughs> just kind of go down the list on the IAP. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm like, okay, funny. I was going to do a firing operation today. So, yeah, so did you just kind of be like, be there in briefing and like stick your hand up and like, all right, who wants to wear this? <laughs> oh no. Yeah, no, I definitely got up in front of a few briefings and be like, I'm looking for volunteers. Please help. Oh, that's kind of cool though. I mean, I'm very sure a lot of people were apt to do it, but then again, you're going to have some of the resistance. I probably would have been one of those resistors to be completely honest with you. <laughs> Well, hopefully by the end, you can change your mind. Yeah, I changed my mind, right? Um, so in addition to how it was conducted, um, what is actually in this wildlands book? You were talking about particulate matter and these pHs, which has a, a technical term that I'm very, very, <laughs> very inept to say <laughs> the technical term for it. I can't even pronounce it. Um, yeah, so wildfire smoke is a mix of different air pollutants, different chemicals. So what has been measured in the past is acrolein, benzene, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, formaldehyde, those polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, PAHs, um, and particulate matter as well. And so in addition, what you mentioned in your introduction was, you know, that silica exposure as well. So that fine dust, you know, that, that dozer, that, do, that moon dust that gets kicked up. Um, that's also an exposure of concern as well. I gotcha. And now what do these particular, uh, or these, these particles do What do these chemicals actually do to you? So these chemicals, they're, you know, breathed down deep into your lungs. And also with that heavier breathing, you're going to be sucking in more air. You could possibly have a higher dose of these as well. So past studies of wildland firefighters have measured a decline in lung function, airway responsiveness, um, and respiratory symptoms, both across individual work shifts and across an entire fire season. So really what we have um, from the research and the literature that has been done so far for wildland firefighters is looking at that individual work shift level and across one season. And it's just one season. This isn't accounting for like an entire career in this game. No, it's not. Um, that's one thing we're trying to do with the current um, cohort study that we have going on at NIOSH, um, looking at firefighters across multiple seasons. But, you know, like you mentioned, just trying to get volunteers for one day, it's it's really hard to to do this type of research in this environment when you have a transient workforce as well. Um, you know, we're just we're just trying to build that foundation right now to really continue to look at this. Yeah, I can imagine it'd be very difficult to get like a solid 20 year study or a 10 year study out of this, you know. Um, I mean, just like you said, it's a transient workforce and not everybody sticks around for the entirety of their career. You know, some people are lifers. So I could understand the difficulty with gathering all of that. Right. And so that's really what we're trying to look at is, you know, are there, is there recovery over, you know, an off season? Do people even have an off season? You know, a lot of, there's a prescribed burning and um, all of that. So there's still exposures possibly in the winter. I gotcha. So now about the uh, dust, the, um, the silicates and all that stuff that's in the dust, that, that moon dust that comes off the dozers. What does that do? Does it just like clog your lungs? I mean, are you able to, does it like build up, um, in your, in your body or does it, is it able to get out of your lungs? Like what's up with that? 
So the smaller particles, it's harder for them. The bigger particles, your respiratory tract has defenses and that can be expelled out. Those smaller particles are going to get deeper into your lungs. Um, what we've seen from other occupations with extreme silica exposure is um, silicosis, which is an occupational lung disease. Okay. And uh, what does that do? It's, it's, it's kind of like COPD from what I understand, just very severe and it can turn into a cancerous form. Um, it's more of the scarring of your lungs. Okay. I understand. Um, okay. So now weird question. I know this is kind of a touchy subject, especially with, um, the COVID thing going on. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's a difficult thing because we don't know a lot about the virus, but we know about its correlation to smoke and COVID. So like smoke and COVID, what's the deal with that? Cause I know that's a big hot topic on everybody's mind right now. So what do you have for us in that regard? So it hasn't been, you know, directly studied in, in research at all. Like you said, it's brand new, but pulling from what we know from smoke literature in wildland firefighters, what we know from community exposure as well, um, exposure to particulate matter, um, looking at that research from wildfire smoke can lead to immune responses within your respiratory tract which may leave wildland firefighters, any fire personnel exposed at a greater risk for developing infections. So you're at a higher risk for infection. Additionally, one of the outcomes that were the severe outcomes that we're seeing within um, COVID-19 infections is that cytokine storming. So this extreme inflammation response within your body and that same inflammation that is on that pathway has been measured for wildland firefighters from exposure to wildland fire smoke. Um, So it may put firefighters at a risk for severe outcomes as well. So it increases your risk of uh, being one of those severity cases where you have to be intubated and yeah, all the other stuff that goes along with that. I mean, we don't really know for sure, but that's one of the possibilities. So, you know, we know from studies that wildfire smoke is associated with inflammation cell toxicity, oxidative stress, and then respiratory infections as well. So kind of the past research, putting all of those things together is what makes a concern for that co-exposure of COVID-19 and exposure to smoke. So it could become a comorbidity in itself. I mean, it could be, I mean, it's theorized was what you're saying. Yeah, it's definitely putting you at an increased risk. Well, that's scary. Super comforting. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I think it's just, you know, it's, it's thinking about why those, why prevention is so important. Um, you know, you, if you don't get infected, you're not going to possibly be experiencing those, you know, that either higher risk of infection or the severity of outcomes as well. I got you. Now, I mean, fire camp's kind of a, a filthy place. I mean, what kind of mitigations can we take in that regard to, you know, within this combination of smoke and COVID that's going around, what can we do uh, to provide some mitigations for that perfect storm? Um, so we've been, NIOSH has developed a wildland firefighter frequently asked question document. So I'll point everyone over to that um, as well. I've been working on the Fire Management Board Interagency uh, Medical and Public Health Advisory Team. So we've been putting out some recommendations for guidance and prevention. And really what that prevention is, is, you know, social, same thing you've been hearing about for the community. So social distancing and the social distancing is really coming at the kind of module or unit level. That module is one term that everyone's hearing. So how I think about it is, you know, you're, your crew is your family. And generally that's true because of people you love people, you know, maybe don't, but everyone is family. You're stuck with them. You're really creating that bubble around your family so that, you know, keep your distance from other people. Don't, don't do your handshake. Don't do your, your hugs with people outside of your module. And then wearing face masks as a source control when you're outside of your module, when other people are outside of your module. So you're really protecting each other from yourselves. Um, I kind of think about it as we're not asking firefighters to wear masks out on the line. They can generally stay six feet apart, You have good open air, you have sunshine. But really, you know, if you're going to hop in the cab of a truck with a division to go to a lookout assignment, 
utilize some stranger danger and, you know, both put on, put on a mask as a source control. Um, so really being diligent about hand hygiene and cleaning and disinfecting as well. Start, uh, yeah, getting some lice all up there at Spike Camp. <laughs> you probably don't have to worry about it up there, but definitely in camp, you know, it's a, it's a filthy place and, you know, don't touch the handrails. Just use some common sense, it sounds like. Yeah, and I actually went out to a fire in Arizona to kind of look and see what how these measures are being implemented out on the ground. And, you know, there's very little... All, every food seems to be packaged. So, you know, you don't have salad tongs that you're also touching. Um, but it's just, you know, it's it's really about everyone reducing their risk so that they reduce the risk for themselves, but reduce the risk for their crew and their module so everyone can stay healthy and everyone should stay vigilant about how they feel this season too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not about yourself. You know, this whole thing is like taking these mitigations. It's not about you. It's about everyone around you. And like you're saying that that family unit, that module, that's your family. So take care of them by doing your due diligence. Right. Right. That's definitely what we've been promoting. No, that's good. I like it. Um, and now besides that, we have a very unique uh, exposure hazard out on the wildland, right? We have these pHs, these PMs, CO, all of this stuff, the silicates, but it's a very different thing from the uh, structure side of things where it's, it's different. You're, if, if you're in the structure setting, you're, it's a lot of nasty stuff, right? A lot of synthetics, plastics, all that stuff that's burning in a house fire, whereas opposed to the wildlands uh, setting, it's, mostly natural stuff, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you if it's natural, you know, but what are some of the like differences between the structure and wildland side of things when it comes to uh, smoke exposure? Um, I think you, you hit on it really well. It's that, you know, the differences you have a burning building, you have plastics, you have synthetic burning, you're going to have more chemicals, you're gonna have different chemicals. Um, but one thing to think about is the structure firefighters have respiratory protection wildland firefighters don't. So, you know, their exposures might be different. And, you know, and I hear that all the time. It's like, oh, it's just like a campfire. It's natural. It's not going to harm me. I was like, no, there's still chemicals in there. There's still a concern. Um, and there, there's a concern because there isn't that respiratory protections. So, you know, and then thinking about what happens in the WUI, what happens in the wildland urban interface, um, where, you, where you're having those structure type exposures without the structure type personal protective equipment, that PPE. Oh yeah. And those particular, those, uh, those chemicals will travel a very long way in a smoke column. Um, and you'll never know the difference. I mean, you'll smell some plastic burning or something like that and not really think about it, but if there's a structure burning and you're downwind of that, Oh man. Yeah. No, that's bad. But you brought up a good point there. Um, the, the occupational exposure between wildland firefighters, a wildland firefighter is exposed to uh, this natural doing air quotes here, which we all kind of shovel off as good. It's like not bad, but it is. We're exposed to this a lot more frequently and on a consistent basis and more times over a career than a structure firefighter. Not only because they have uh, breathing apparatus, they have SEBAs, but how many actual structure fires do uh, they go on, these firefighters go on per year. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't obviously know the exact number, but I think when you think about it in a cumulative way, you know, think on how many 14 day rolls you go on in a season versus how many fire calls someone from, you know, a city department will go on. That That's a big difference when you're talking about cumulative exposure and then dose of what you're getting of smoke. Oh, absolutely. Now, one thing I was kind of curious about too, is like, does this do anything to your skin? Does it have the opportunity to uh, pass that skin barrier, so to speak? Or uh, I know that uh, with the structure world, it's a SOP typically to wash your turnouts after every fire to get that, uh, those chemicals off of your turnouts. But we don't really have that option <laughs> in the wildland setting. It's usually like you got a week worth of pants then you switch your pants and then you go home and hopefully you have a clean pair, you know? Um, no, that that's a really good point. And it's not something that has been well studied in wildland firefighters um, yet. And I think that there is, there's a known concern. It's something I've, I think about a lot. It's something I've thought about a lot, you know, when I was on Redmond and I wasn't showering for 14 days, 
Um, you know, what is, what does all that do to your skin? And you, you hear about, oh, I have this dirt layer on me because it's going to protect me from the camp crud. I'm like, no, that's not thing. It's not how it works, bud. But also think about how many people just that don't wash their yellows. And I was one of those guys for like the longest time that they don't wash their yellows because they think it's like a, a sign of, I don't know. Oh, look at how hard I work or whatever. You know, it's a badge of honor. But think of how much no crap one wants you have to be called there. Big Bird, right? No one wants to be that bright, shining new yellow, and I totally get it. But in retrospect, you know, looking back at those days, is like, what the hell was I thinking? You got like a leaky Dolmar that's leaking all down your back. You got like tons of crap on your, just crusted into your armpits and all of your chest and stuff. It's it can't be good. It can't be good. And, you know, that that is one thing that the structure world has really, you know, they've, they've changed their culture on it. It's a culture of being clean and showing that as as hard work, too. And oh, yeah. I, I hope to see it. I hope to see that, you know, start to to come to, to the wildland world as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, the smoke that we're exposed to, it may be relatively less toxic. It's still toxic. But I mean, a structure firefighter, look at how many they, they don't go to a lot of structure fires per year, right? They mostly run medicals. We know this, but they still wash their stuff after every time they, they have a structure fire. They also have breathing apparatus. I mean, there's not really much we can do about it because we're not going to be caught dead out there with 35 pounds of SCBA on our backs. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's not the recommendation, but you know, there are things that you can do to reduce exposure and, you know, reduce that cumulative smoke and ash and all of those dermal things as well. Mm, yeah. It's, <laughs> I don't know. It's just one of those weird things that we got to really think about what we're doing here with our stinky yellows. Yeah. No, have a clean shirt, take a shower if you can. Oh yeah, absolutely. So as far as particular hazards of our realm, our, our theater of, uh, wildland fire, what are some of these particular hazards of these smokes? So the, the long-term hazard, you know, being that decline in lung function, the chronic health risk, um, there's been one study that also surveyed wildland firefighters and found that the longer career you had, um, there was, a significant association for hypertension and heart arrhythmia, which kind of goes back to my risk assessment for that cardiovascular disease mortality um, and cancer risk as well. So really trying to think about that exposures. We don't know long-term what those dermal exposures mean. So, Yeah, the dermal exposures, I mean, that's going to be a completely different game, it sounds like. But when the smoke is in you, you can you're already measuring this, you know, it's, it's, you yeah. have hard data. Yeah, no. And, and smoke exposure, you know, you've had a crappy day and then just felt super fatigued and just, you know, it, it knocks you down if you have one of those high exposure days. Mm -hmm. So there's that, you know, there's that obvious one that you feel right away, but then there's these other risks and hazards that we don't see in the long term, And that's, what's really hard. I think, my experience at Redmond really taught me is, you know, it's, it's hard to see the long-term hazards when you're faced with things that are going to kill you immediately out on the fire line. Oh yeah. We don't think about the long-term when, you know, you're facing, you know, a lot of immediate danger. Right. Right. And so that's one thing that I really gained some perspective about. And I think about, you know, how to, how to communicate that risk better. How do you communicate long-term health risk? when, you know, I know that people are experiencing burning snags and they're cutting them down and rolling rocks and, you know, all of the heavy equipment that people work around, you know, there, there's immediate risk right then and there. So then how do I communicate that long-term risk to people? Yeah, no, I totally get it. But also it's like, I, I like looking back on my career, I don't know how many times I've woke up in a smoky fire camp and just felt like I had a hangover. You know, you just have that pounding headache. You're, you just feel like crap, but you not until really now, like later down the line in my, uh, my life is like, wow, what the hell am I doing to myself? It's almost like you become numb to those risks that you can't see. Yeah. You get like a sense of operational blindness. Right. 
No, that's weird. It's uh, yeah, it's something to think about. Definitely. So what about our performance? Like uh, what have you noticed with your study with the long-term performance decreases in, um, your fire or seasonal because you were doing it for a year, uh, your seasonal performance declines in lung function, uh, just at general, general overall performance. Um, so right now we're still in the middle of our study, so we're not releasing any results. Um, so we can't, I can't really say what we're seeing across season yet. Okay. And now what about the carcinogens and the big C, the cancer risk? What are we looking at here? Like in a, in a realistic fashion, what are we looking at? You know, I think that risk assessment that I published last year was really the start of thinking about what is that risk, um, really starting to understand, continuing to understand what are our exposures out on the line, how high are the exposures, and then what does that mean for risk? So there's still a lot, I think, to be learned out in this environment and for wildland firefighters, because like you pointed out, we don't really know the dermal risk. We don't know what's getting onto our skin, what's being systemically um, moved through our body. So one of the other projects I work on is with some California departments and looking at exposures pre and post shift after wooey fires. So measuring chemicals in urine and in the blood and looking at changes um, within the blood and serum looking at changes in DNA across a fire season. So those have been linked to um, cancer risk as well. Mm -hmm. And now what uh, are there any like specific types of cancer that you've uh, seen like indicators of like a risk of, I mean, is there any particular types of cancer? Um, other than the lung cancer that I pointed out in my first study, there haven't really been other ones within wildland firefighters. There's some in the structural world. There have been some large um, cohort studies looking at cancer risk across multiple departments in the country. Mm -hmm. But the wildland, we just don't have enough data pretty much is what you're saying. And that's where you- The wildland- yeah, sorry. Um, the wildland, we don't have a lot of data. Um, one of the other projects that NIOSH has going is the creation of a new firefighter cancer registry. So the, like I was talking about the previous studies, they indicated that firefighters looking mostly at structural were at a higher risk of cancer from the general population, including digestive, oral, respiratory, and urinary cancers. So the studies didn't really include women or minorities or volunteer firefighters or wildland firefighters. So really that, that registry is going to start looking at that. And that registry was created by a firefighter cancer registry act of 2018. So that work is currently going on right now to get that registry up and running and wildland firefighters should participate as much as they can. So we can start getting those numbers and understanding what trends are. I gotcha. Now is it broken down into different categories? Uh, like you were saying, like minorities, wildland firefighters, women, men, et cetera. Um, yeah, every, it's open to everyone and anyone who has been a firefighter. And so really trying to get a good mix of people, there'll be some targeted recruitment, um, to get enough numbers to look at those comparisons for those groups, but it's open to everybody. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, uh, you just, uh, send me the link right there www.cdc.gov forward slash NIOSH and I O S H forward slash firefighters forward slash registry.html. And, uh, yeah, I'll definitely include that in the show notes there. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a big thing, you know, and I know that there's not a lot of data out there, but like your data that you currently have been working on says there's a 43% increase <laughs> with cardiovascular cancer, uh, and, uh, car or, uh, sorry, heart issues over the course of your career, which is pretty wild. Right. And you know, it's like we were talking before, you have this transient workforce, you have this extreme work environment. So it's just, it's been hard for researchers to, to get a lot of data, to get enough numbers to really start, you know, making some conclusions. There's limitations in all research research, of course, but it's really trying to start to understand what is this bigger picture. I gotcha. And especially the cardiovascular disease thing, because I've noticed a lot with um, with a lot of firefighters, it, it seems like people retire and then they either have a heart attack 
and die or they're just good. It's weird to me. And I wonder if there's any correlation between the smoke exposure over a long-term career, their retirement and them being relatively inactive to them, you know, succumbing to a cardiovascular disease. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what's really happening between that, that retirement age and, and their health outcomes, but it is something that I've seen, you know, I see it on the hotshot page. I see it on Facebook. You, you see these old soups who are, you know, having a heart attack, having a stroke, something like that happening at the end of their career. And it just, it makes you think, it makes you wonder what that connection is. Oh yeah. So I mean, you are trying to, to put numbers to. Yeah. You could postulate all day long about what this is actually doing to us and you can maybe connect the dots remotely, but until we have data showing the direct correlation between cardiovascular, cardiovascular disease and the smoke exposure, I mean, you kind of just, yeah, I, I, it's, it's hard to say, but we need more data. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so I mean, is there anything that we can really do about mitigating these risks with uh, wildland smoke exposure? I mean, is there any like some, I, I mean, the mask thing, it's not going to do much and it sucks to be uh, <laughs> huffing up a hill with a mask on. I'm not going to do it, but is there anything else we can do to mitigate these risks? You know, I think it's just, it's thinking. So at NIOSH, we have what is called our hierarchy of controls when you're thinking about occupational exposures. And the first you are eliminating the risk, substituting the risk. Um, you know, we're, we're not in that level. We can't substitute smoke. We can't eliminate it. You know, so really we're left um, towards the bottom of this inverted pyramid and really um, at administrative controls. And that's really changing how people work. And for me, what I tell people is, you know, it's, it's thinking about ways to mitigate small amounts throughout your entire career. So thinking about days for mop up when, you know, it's appropriate, you know, you don't have a big wind event coming in, only mop up to secure the line. Don't go in further when needed. Um, using patrols to just walk along that fire's edge to watch for spots or escapes or anything like that. Um, for holding it really all came to a head last year when I was on Redmond, you know, we were had first day, one of our first burns and I was on the holding crew that we were day and I was standing there and I couldn't see anything in front of me. And I was just thinking in my head, I'm like, well, the science side of me knows this is real dumb. <laughs> this <laughs> <But is> bad. <laughs> the firefighter in me is like, you know, I was given a task, my, the people to the left, people to the right of me are depending on me to you know hold this area. I'm going to keep standing here. This is my job. This is what I'm going to do. You know, they've put their faith in me and I've put their faith in them. And a little bit later, my squad leader came over, pulled us all out. And she was like, no, we don't need to be here. We can't see any, if we can't, if the smoke is so bad, we can't see in front of us. We're not going to be able to see any spots anyways. So, you know, she pulled us out and we just went 30 minute increments and just patrolled that line and looked for spots and went, you know, with pairs. And so it really cumulatively reduced all of our exposure instead of just sitting there sucking smoke and, you know, don't, don't, don't put yourself, I would say in those situations where you think it's a badge of honor to be the guy that throws up because you've just ate so much smoke that day. Like we don't, we don't need to do that. We can reduce exposure and think about health. And so I think anytime that you can make those small adjustments um, when the time and place allows, you know, there are days where it's running and gunning and you just got to get stuff done. I completely understand that, but in slower days in operations where you can really think about your tactics and your strategies and how to bring health into the equation and how to reduce exposure is, is where I hope that we can start moving in that direction. Yeah, I definitely hope that we can move in that direction eventually, but I also totally get the other side as the operational boots on the ground kind of guy and like just standing there in the smoke and like, Oh, this is my, this is my job. So, but yeah, I hope that we can, you know, get a little bit more smoke aware and, uh, do more to mitigate these risks. Cause the smoke stuff, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. You know, it's as your data shows, it's, it's has long-term health, health consequences. Right. And I think you just 
pointed out, the biggest thing is, is just being aware, understanding that it's a hazard, understanding that it's not just a naturally burning source. It's not just a campfire. You know, there are chemicals in there. And I would encourage everyone to go watch. There's a really good Wolfstar video called, I believe, Knowing the Hazards of Smoke. And I can send the link as well. But George Broyles, the one who's really done a lot of this earlier work, really goes through and does a great like 15 minute video on all of this um, as well. And just a lot of them have your whole crew watch it. I think having everyone understand from the beginning of their fire career, what this hazard is can hopefully give everyone kind of some tools to think about how to mitigate their own exposures. There's not going to be one single answer that works for everything. I think that's what's the hardest part about. Oh yeah. And I totally agree with you, but uh, I think that, you know, we, these are just those consequential risks that we just kind of shovel off, like you're saying. And, uh, we don't, we don't talk about this stuff during, you know, your refresher training or at, you know, S one thirty when these rookies are going through rookie school, we don't talk about this kind of stuff. And I think that if we were to prime people from the get go and kind of give them the knowledge to understand what they're doing, I think we'd have a better workforce, a, a wiser workforce. No, definitely. That's, that's, I think a really great starting point is just education and getting everyone on that same page. And, you know, it, it's going to be hard. And it, like I said, there's not one single answer, but trying to think about small ways probably means something in the lifetime of someone's career when you're thinking about cumulative dose of smoke. Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's every day too. It's constant. It's like the only constant we really have, you know, you don't know where you're going to be on a fire, but you know, you're going to be on a fire eventually. And you're probably going to be sp- yeah. sucking smoke in. Or ash. Or ash or, you know, moon dust from dozer line. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's crazy though. It's uh, just things we don't really think about. You Like you're saying earlier, it's, uh, it's those not immediate danger things that we don't think about. And I'm just really happy that you came on the show to talk about all of this. Yeah, no, I am always grateful for the opportunity to just get the word out and and get people to think about this. No, it's excellent work. And uh, I hope it continues. And I hope that uh, a lot of good stuff comes out of it. Hopefully we can get some more data. Yeah. Yeah. So where can we find you to get a hold of you for questions? Um, So I work for the CDC. So we got to the official route, um, but media at cdc.gov and then questions will get routed to me and I'm always happy to answer anything. Right on. And uh, do you have any socials or anything that, that we can give out or we can follow? Um, I don't have any, just my personal Instagram, but... Gotcha. But we can find the CDC. I'm pretty sure they're on Instagram, right? <laughs> yeah, there. <laughs> so there you go. At CDC. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think so. Probably. I think it is. Oh, there it is. Uh, it's uh, at CDC Gov and NIOSH USA. That's what they are. Yeah, I'll, I'll link it in there in the show notes. But uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, if we can uh, get some questions your way, if you guys uh, or if you guys you know have any questions, hit up Kathleen here and, and at that media account, and uh, yeah, she'll I'm sure she'll answer some some questions for you. Well, cool. So at the end of the show, uh, I'd like to give an opportunity for you to give out a shout out to a homie, a hero, mentor. Who do you got for us? I mean, I've had a lot of people who have helped me get my project started and really get my career going in this. So there's a lot. And I would like to thank everyone in Region 5 Air Quality that helped me. Um, Brent Skaggs was the FMO of Sequoia National Forest who got me my first red card. I did my first pack test with him. So he's been an amazing cheerleader this whole time. So he definitely got me my start. And all of my crewmates, all of the overhead from Redmond last year, they gave me an amazing experience that taught me a lot. And what I got. Nice. And my current partner in crime, Corey Butler. She is also at NIOSH working hard for wildland firefighters. Right on. Well, cool. Yeah. I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show and uh, yeah. Shout out to Redmond, Redmond alumni. Uh, it's pretty awesome. So, um, definitely appreciate the work you're doing and, uh, yeah, let's see you on the next one. Hopefully we can get you back on the show. Thanks. Right on Kathleen. Take care. Thanks.
All right, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with Dr. Kathleen Navarro. Kathleen, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to uh, hop on the show and give us some uh, insight as far as our smoke exposure and what we're exposing ourselves to, these chemicals in this smoke and its direct relationship to lung cancers and other nasty, nasty stuff. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, I don't uh, have the intention to scare anybody with this episode, but it's a real conversation that we need to be having. It's something that we need to be addressing. I mean, it is kind of a uh, risk that we don't think about all too often, but hey, you know what? Maybe we should uh, start doing our due diligence to uh, think about these things. Yeah, it's especially kind of scary with the uh, whole COVID thing. Yeah, that's uh, wildly eye-opening. But yeah, if you guys want to find out more, definitely go over to NIOSH at NIOSH USA. You can follow them on Instagram and that's the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. Or you can follow the CDC. They're kind of uh, the Centers for Disease Control. That's their uh, governing body, if you will. So go over there and check it out. And uh, yeah, as far as those links that we were talking about in the show, I'll definitely post those links in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I'll see if I can throw them up on my website as well. But Kathleen, once again, thank you so much to the rest of you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And if you guys have a chance to drop a review, uh, yeah, definitely would appreciate that. So get those reviews going. And Keep using that hashtag, Anchor Point Podcast, and tagging us in your photos. We'll definitely uh, reuse them and repost to you guys. Tell a story of wildland firefighting across the world. Yeah, the world. This is an international ordeal now. So, special uh, shout out to my sponsors. You got Hotshot Brewery, best damn coffee in the world for a damn good cause. Love you guys. Mystery Ranch. Looking forward to working with you guys on not only the Backbone series, but helping uh, promote that 1039 scholarship. We also got the Ass Movement booze dude keep it going man spread the word not only is it nasty when people poop in public lands and not bury it it's gross but hey you know what there's a contingency message with that definitely clean up your garbage pack it in pack it out leave no trace and last but not least the smoky generation bethany i love your organization and uh yeah it's definitely awesome so looking forward to that next round of grants anyways stay safe stay savage peace we'll catch you on the next one